are listening to KSEF, a digital broadcast in Topeka, brought to you by 785 Magazine. Learn more at 785live.com. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. We have an exciting show tonight. In fact, so exciting, uh, things are going to look a little bit different than our normal show. Um, if you've been following the news in the last week, uh, there have been a lot of developments in the world of COVID-19, uh, which makes it even more appropriate uh, that our special guest tonight is Dr. Aaron Locke, Shawnee County's uh, Community Health Officer. Um, we have actually cleared out our entire hour uh, for tonight's show since this is a special edition uh, so that we can spend as much time uh, visiting with Dr. Locke tonight. So we are going to get right to it. Dr. Locke, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, thanks for fitting us into your schedule too. I I have a a hunch that you've had maybe a question or two in the last (laughs) week come up. Oh, just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as we as we get started, um, yeah, I sh- we should mention you're you're still relatively um, new in your position. Um, can you tell us a little bit, kind of, about yourself and your your background and how you got to Topeka? Oh yeah, it's been a little bit of a trip to get to this position um, where I am today. I actually grew up in Western Kansas in Wakini, um, which is a really, yeah, a small community out West. My dad was a doctor and um, I just wanted to be a family doc like him and uh, went to med school at KU. During that time, I, I received a dual degree with a master's in public health, but I really wasn't using it very much in the last few years as I worked clinical medicine in Holton at Holton Community Hospital. And so in February is when I joined here in Shawnee County, um, really just seeing the opportunity to use my public health knowledge for the betterment of our community. Absolutely. Well, what a, what a time to start a new gig. I tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I didn't make that decision lightly. It, it, I had to really weigh the pros and cons of it before making that decision. Oh, absolutely. Well, you've gone from the the Wakini, the Christmas, I hear the Christmas city of the high plains. That's right. It's the Christmas city of the high plains. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't know how this show always ends up being like random shout outs to small towns, but it always happens on this show. So I'm here for it. (laughs) It was a great place to grow up. Um, You know, it's small enough that you basically know everyone in town and it was very supportive community. So really, really loved growing up there. Very cool. Well, and of course, we're glad to, to have you here in, in Top City now as our as our health officer. And, and you know, there's still some folks that, you know, as we've been going about this, there's some folks that still might not really know kind of what that means, that role of a community health officer. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Uh, I knew that when I became the health officer, it was very much going to be focused on COVID right now and um, the vaccine rollout. But as we start moving through this pandemic and beyond, my 
roles and duties are going to change quite a bit. So I think you could um, think of the health officer's role as a doctor, but not one who cares about a single patient at a, at a given time, but one who's more thinking about the health of the entire community. And so that's thinking about education and policies and other recommendations that we can make uh, for community health. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, that's important, too, when we think about, you know, we've, we've got a great physicians throughout Shawnee County, but, you know, all of them are, of course, tied to their practices or their hospitals and their patients. So having uh, someone having a physician that can be in that role where they they have the ability to look at the kind of 30,000 foot view is, is a really great thing to have. Yeah. And, you know, when you're practicing clinical medicine, you see that what you're able to do for a patient in the exam room, there's, there's sort of limitations to that. And people's health are, it's impacted so much by the places where they live, where they work, by other social and environmental factors that often in the clinical setting, we just don't have the opportunity to influence. And so that's where having that, that bigger view, you can start to influence other factors of people's health. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if if uh, if anything's come out this last year, about 15 months now, I think it's maybe you know, a greater understanding of that idea of of all those social determinants to use the words that the cool kids use That's um, right. out there, you know, the, uh, of all the different ways <laughs> that those factors impact our health. Yeah, I think we, you know, it, it used to be just something where maybe you're, you were in the health field, you would be aware of those social determinants. But now, you can just be a casual viewer of our system and our society and begin to understand how everything ultimately links back to health. Absolutely. Well, and, and speaking of, you know, this last week I mentioned was a, a, a busy week. And so I know folks might have lots of, of questions or, or thoughts out there. So we'll go first things first. We'll, we'll go kind of what the latest development was um, last week was with uh, regarding masks. Um, and, and, you know, we've we've had uh, I know folks have been trying to kind of keep up with guidance that have, that's come out from the CDC and, of course, from the county as well. And I always joke that people I think sometimes people feel like that that gift where it's got the lady and the equations are all swirling around and they're trying <laughs> to figure out what exactly is going on. Uh, so can you clarify, you know, where do we stand uh, really right now when it comes to masks um, in our community? Oh, that's such a good question, because it is so confusing. And I admit that it frequently feels confusing for us as well. Sure. Um, so if we try to take that 30,000 foot view again, we can go back to the beginning when we first started to vaccinate individuals. And the guidance was that everyone should continue to wear their masks, regardless if you've been vaccinated or not. And really that was looking at the question of whether someone who is fully vaccinated can still be infected with uh, an infection that they don't have any symptoms for, but they would then pass it on to someone who is not yet vaccinated. There was also concern that we didn't fully know how well the effectiveness of the vaccines would be in the real world. And so maybe they were 95% uh, efficacious in the trial, but is that going to be 95% eff effective in the real world? And so we've got more evidence for both of those points. 
we know that the vaccine is going to protect you in the real world, that you are very unlikely um, to be sick enough to be hospitalized or to die if you've been vaccinated. And that's in the real world. We also know that individuals who are vaccinated are unlikely to pass an infection on to someone else who is not vaccinated. So both of those questions have now been answered. And it's important that people who are vaccinated know that and can make decisions based on their own safety and the safety of others around them. It starts to get complicated, though, when the majority of our population is still not vaccinated. And so the the guidance gets a little bit confusing then about what you recommend for public spaces. Individuals who are vaccinated are safe in those public spaces, but if you remove masks for everyone, then all the people who are not yet vaccinated, they're not safe yet. And that, I think, is where the biggest uh, question comes about what we should be doing in public spaces, like in churches or in businesses, etc. And that's what we're trying to help uh, with guidance. Right now, I think it's still a safe thing for businesses to continue to require masks because we have so many people who are not yet vaccinated. But hopefully in the next few months, we will see an improvement in that vaccination where perhaps masks could be removed for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've we've been, uh, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago uh, with Derek about, you know, vaccination rates and what is, you know, is there any kind of magical number um, to reach <laughs> or, or anything like that? Of course, everyone's kind of looking for what that that number could be. Um, and, you know, I don't know that there it doesn't sound like there's quite exactly a settled number as of yet. Yeah, nobody quite agrees on what that number would be. You know, that that quote, herd immunity. We think it's pretty high, um, maybe 80, 85 percent, something like that. And at the beginning, when vaccines were first starting to roll out and we didn't really know what the uptake would be, we were very hopeful that we would get 85 percent of people signing up for the vaccines. Unfortunately, we have not seen that turnout, and we are not sure that we'll actually be able to reach that um, herd immunity just because we're not having people sign up for the vaccines at that high of a rate. So we're sort of pivoting from a herd immunity approach to more of a containment approach that we think it will continue to be in the community at a low level and we'll just continue to try to identify and isolate it as quickly as we can to keep it from spreading through our population who are still unvaccinated. Sure. So is that, you know, would that be similar to, you know, essentially kind of the the seasonal flu in that it's going to live with us for, you know, forever, but we, we we're just able to, to treat people and to still get vaccinations out and that kind of thing? Yeah, that's what the experts are starting to tell us we might expect. And the hope, of course, is that it will continue to mutate in a way that makes it less deadly for us. But right now, we know that it's still, um, it's still dangerous. It's still present in the community. And so we still need to take the steps needed to, to limit its spread. Sure. Well, and, and you mentioned the, the uh, mutations, too. And this is, I've learned a lot about science in the last <laughs> year. And the mutations thing, I have to tell you, the variant 
it's uh, it sounds sounds quite terrifying, um, <laughs> actually. And so, you know, as we think about that, especially with uh, the mask guidance that that's come out, you know, do we see that that guidance still continuing even in the face of the variants? You know, it sounds like the the vaccine is still showing pretty good effectiveness against the variants that we know now. Basically, I just need to know rather my nightmares about variants are merited, or rather, I can just calm down a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where um, right now I feel pretty good. But like with everything in this pandemic, things could change. And so you've identified already that the vaccines work against the variants. And so if you are fully vaccinated, you should feel pretty comfortable that those variants are not going to bug you. There is, of course, always a possibility (laughs) that a variant could develop that the vaccines don't work against, but they are, the companies are working on that. They are trying to stay ahead of the game so that they would have an updated vaccine ready if needed. So I would say, go ahead and if you're fully vaccinated, Angel, go ahead and just don't be quite as worried about the variants right now. Okay. That's good. That's good. I can get my Chipotle in peace and not worry. (laughs) Something's working around the corner. That's right. Okay. (laughs) Well, and speaking of vaccines, that was the other big bit of news last week, too, that uh, may may hopefully help boost those levels, too, is that, of course, uh, Pfizer has granted its emergency use authorization uh, for their vaccine for uh, use in in kids ages 12 to 15. Um, So how soon, I I know that there's some plans actually rolling out um, here in Shawnee County, you know, how's that uh, taking place in in the county? What should people know? Yeah, what should parents out there know about the safety of the vaccine for their kids? Yeah. um, Well, let's start with the availability in the community. So we already have it available for kids 12 and up, I guess, all the way into adulthood. Um, There's at least a couple different pharmacies. And then I believe both healthcare systems are offering appointments right now. And the new website to actually find a vaccine is called vaccines.gov. And just go to that website. You can find where Pfizer is being offered. You can make an appointment through the website. So, um, and then looking forward, we have partnered with the school districts. So we will be doing school-based clinics in June into July. And so my hope is that that will bring the vaccine to sort of an easier location. It's walk-in. Um, it'll be offered on more than one occasion at a person's, in a person's school district and try to remove some of those scheduling barriers and other things that can sometimes crop up. You know, when it comes to um, risk of the vaccine versus the benefit, it's actually quite good in this age group. So they, when they did the trial, which they started last July, very few negative side effects, very few severe adverse effects like um, constipation or abdominal pain, very, very small. But the efficacy was a hundred percent. Oh wow! So yeah, <laughs> so no, I know it's better. <laughs> These kids and their their strong immune systems, right. you know. And so yeah, no kids in the in the vaccine group had any infections. So that was a one hundred percent efficacy. Um, nobody was hospitalized in this trial. Nobody died in the trial. And so it's very it's looking very safe for kids and a really high benefit versus risk. Um, kind of ratio there. Awesome. Well, that's, that's great. Well, it's great that you've got those those clinics happening right now too that will be going, going straight to the source, if you will, uh, to be able to offer that at the right at the school building. 
yeah, you know, we worked with the schools on that. We asked them, where should we do it? When should we do it? And so the times are going to be actually eight to 10 in the morning with the intent that we can be at the schools when the kids are there. You know, a lot of kids are doing early morning weightlifting and and things like that. And so uh, trying to be there, trying to reduce barriers. And one important um, additional thing I'd like to add is that it's not just the kids who will be vaccinated there. It's open to any community member, family members, and so on. So if the school-based locations are right for, for you, go go ahead and walk on in for that vaccine. Sure, yeah. You can make it a whole family affair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, you know, in, in general, when it comes to, to vaccines, uh, of course, you know, there's, uh, I don't know if you've heard this thing called social media, um, but there's, uh, there's rumors that circulate on there from time to time uh, that you know, sometimes uh, that sometimes I think maybe cause hesitancy or, or cause misinformation to be spread. So, you know, sure. setting the record straight, you know, just initially, um, there's a lot of concern about, you know, the the speed or the pace or the perceived pace that the vaccine was was rolled out. Uh, you know, sometimes people uh, hear that it was rushed or that quarters were cut or that sort of thing. Can you speak a little bit to that, the process that was used to, to, to develop these vaccines? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. And one that um, I was asking myself a few months ago, I guess, you know, end of 2020, as I was thinking about getting the vaccine for myself, I was curious about what um, had actually gone into the preparation for this vaccine. And um, I, we all agree it was produced much more quickly than sort of your average vaccine, which can take years. And this one took less than a year. There's several different important factors that went into that. The first is that the um, the virus and sort of its sequence, its genetic code, you could say, was shared very early. It was sequenced early and it was shared early around the world. So scientists right from the beginning were sharing information and were cooperating in sort of a global movement that is just not seen uh in a usual way for um, infections that we're not all paying attention to, if that makes sense. Uh, the second um, important thing is that we were using technology that although was somewhat new, like the mRNA technology, it was not completely new. Scientists were already working with that technology, already knew essentially how it worked and what the process would be to take the information about the genetic code and how vaccines work and just put it into their technology. So that all happened quite quickly. Then in a normal vaccine process, we have sort of our safety phases, phase one, two, three. It's only when you decide at that point that it's safe and that it's going to work that you start to actually produce the, the vaccine in the vials. And that can take quite a long time. You know, it can take years to do these tests because we're not getting people signed up for these trials. And there's a lot of money that goes into the making of these vaccines. So companies usually aren't going to put money into it until it's been determined that it's safe. So that was an additional change that happened with this one. We had a lot of volunteers who wanted to be part of this, this, uh, uh, these studies. And so um, they were able to sign up those volunteers and get them going much more quickly than in the past with other infections and vaccines. 
And the other thing they did is that they started making the vaccine at the same time that they were testing it. So instead of running in one long sequence where that where the production follows the testing, they were running in parallel so that essentially the moment when they decided it was safe, they already had vaccine produced and ready to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's really it was really just a much more in a lot of ways much more efficient system. Um, yes. Than the and and there are a lot of things that were kind of preset for it that aren't really that don't usually happen. That's exactly right. Really, a lot of the bureaucracy was cut out, yeah. and a lot of money was put into this. Um, in order to do this. And how I had learned about it early on is that you can you can risk health safety or you can risk finances. And what we risked here was our finances. A lot of money was spent. And, and occasionally what you could say was kind of wasted on vaccines that perhaps weren't going to work out. And right. but we did not sacrifice uh, safety. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a great a great point. You know, one of the one of the things that we've um, heard from from people sometimes is that well, you know, this this virus has like a ninety nine percent survival rate. So why bother? Why do I why do I even need a vaccine? Oh gosh, that is um, such a powerful statistic that can be really hard to like address um, without becoming. It's just difficult, isn't it? Um, so I think that when we look at that statistic, we are looking at the entire population and we're looking at um, most people recover from this uh, infection, they don't die. But for any one individual person, their risk is going to vary based on personal, um, based on personal factors such as age, comorbidities, and so on. So if you're an individual who's 60 years old and you have high blood pressure and maybe you're a little overweight, your recovery is not going to be 99%. You know, your risk is going to be a little higher because you have some risk factors. Now, if you're a younger person, you're totally healthy, maybe that is your recovery. Um, so there's there can be some differences just based on individual people. And that is only looking at whether you live or you die. But I think another important factor we need to consider is what we call the morbidity of the disease. You know, there's mortality, whether you live or die, and then there's morbidity. And that's what are the other consequences for you of having been infected? And that for some people can mean really long hospital stays and ICU stays. For others, it can mean a weakened heart and, um, and weakened lungs and maybe never fully recovering back to the level they previously were. Uh, for some, it's brain fog um, and, and thinking problems that can last for months. And, and I'm sort of talking about all the long COVID symptoms that people have. And, and they're sort of long symptoms that come from just the infection itself. And then there's other symptoms that we know that you can have from just being hospitalized or in the ICU for long periods of time, regardless of the cause. It's just being hospitalized. So there is a morbidity component of that's impacting individuals' lives that is not really acknowledged or addressed in that statistic. 
And then one other thing that I like to talk about is that maybe your risk is relatively low, but what about the risk of your loved ones, the people that you live with, your friends? Because we know that if you're not vaccinated, you can pass that on to someone else and they may have outcomes that are are unsatisfactory for them or for you. And so this is because of the nature of it being an infectious disease, you really have to think about not just yourself, but also the risk to the people that you love and to your community. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a good thinking about that, that greater good um, that, that served is, is definitely something that's, that's been brought into to sharp uh, focus this year. Yes. Yes. It really has been brought into sharp relief, like you were saying about sort of this individual mentality versus community mentality and, and how sometimes those can be in tension with one another. Absolutely. And, and I think we're all really feeling that in different ways um, through this past year. Sure. Well, and you know, when it comes to the vaccine too, you know, we, we've heard a lot about vaccine hesitancy about people who just um, don't, aren't sure or just don't want the vaccine. Um, but then, you know, there's kind of this other population and the Washington Post had this really good article last week that talked about folks who, um, this segment that really do want to get the vaccine and, and even maybe have the intention of getting it, but for one reason or another, uh, they haven't been able to either. They, they can't find a, a, a location that works for them. They don't have transportation. Maybe they work um, a job or a couple jobs where they, they're not able to, to meet the times for the vaccine. There's some kind of barrier that exists there. Can you talk about what that looks like for, for Shawnee County and kind of how we are, are helping to, to alleviate some of that? Yeah, that has been, you know, at the beginning, there were just so many people who wanted the vaccine and our spots were filling up um, and we had our mass vaccination clinics. But we have transitioned now into thinking about just what you've brought up. How can we actually bring the vaccine to people? Um, because like you said, there's so many barriers and sometimes it's just a barrier of um, not having enough time to schedule that appointment. So we have been looking at the zip codes in our community that have lower vaccination rates than some of our highest vaccinated zip codes. And we've identified which ones those are. And we're starting to look to um, smaller clinics where we set up at events in those zip codes and try to be where people are when they're just having fun um, or, you know, in their, in their free time. And trying to make those also just walk-in clinics so that you don't have to worry in advance. You can just see that it's available and you can get your vaccine. I think another really important um, uh, we're hoping we will get this soon is that we'll be able to see vaccine in like provider clinics more often. And that will be reaching people when they come into their regular doctor's appointments or things like that, that they'll be able to just get the vaccine and, and go. Um, that has not been as available these last few months because of the what we call the cold chain, where you have to keep the vaccine in certain uh, temperatures. And it's just been difficult to get them into, into doctor's offices and the like. But that's something else that we're really hoping we're going to see 
But the main thing is that we'll be popping up all around town at different events and uh, just offering it to people who happen to be there and who really would like to be vaccinated, but just hadn't hadn't been able to, to make that appointment. Absolutely. And we'll remind folks to that vaccine.gov and also going to the shawneehealth.org uh, to Shawnee County Health Department's yes. website too and clicking vaccine to be able to find uh, all that vaccine information that's available on there as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you, I can't speak for them, but if you happen to be in Walmart or you happen to be in Dillon's or you happen to be in one of our other, you know, pharmacy partners, they are not in our collaborative, Mm -hmm. but I don't see any reason why you couldn't just walk up to the pharmacy and ask if they have a vaccine availability. Oh, sure. Um, So wherever you are, if vaccine happens to be there, go ahead and reach out. Absolutely. Well, you know, of course, the big question that people always want to know is, you know, when will things be back to, to normal. Yeah, you know, when can I when can I crowd around in a bar and sing Sweet Caroline with all my friends again? When can I do all those things that you see in movies now and you're like, oh my God, how are that many people all together in one place? You know, when what is that what is normal? You know, what does that look like? What does that mean for us? You know, how how do we get back to that that point? Yeah. Well just speaking of movies, don't you get like kind of a reaction when you see big groups of people? Oh my god, totally. And like, what are they doing? <laughs> right? No one's wearing they're all hugging each other. Yes. <laughs> You're like, oh, that looks like so much fun. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the sooner we get people vaccinated, the sooner we're going to be able to go back to life as normal like that. Sure. Um, it's really because we're trying to protect the unvaccinated that we have to continue to mitigate and to, to keep the masks in place in certain places, to keep spreading apart and all of that. Once you get more and more people vaccinated and the virus continues to drop to a really low level, then you're able to start backing off on some of those mitigation measures because it's just very unlikely that it would be passing from one unvaccinated person to the next. And so even though we are unlikely to get to a herd immunity, the more we have vaccinated, the less we have to do to stop that virus from spreading. And Part of that is going to be the vaccination of children because, of course, they they have a, a large proportion of our um, of our population. But we're going to need to see more adults getting vaccinated too. And my hope is that over the summer we're going to we're going to see just low levels of virus. Um, the fall is really the unknown for me. I don't know what the fall is going to look like. And so the more we get vaccinated, the better <laughs> fall is going to look. I, that one is one thing I do know. Absolutely. So work that into your summer fo- your play- summer plans, folks. We have it already to, to get your vaccination this, this summer for sure. That's right. That's right. I'm looking forward to traveling for the first time this summer. Oh gosh, oh. yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, that, yeah, that's that's the same. That's like really big thing. Yeah, you know, there's actually a summer camp that I work at each summer for about a week. Uh, oh. That of course we couldn't have last year, so I'm just excited about the the ability to do that again. Oh yeah, and to know that you're safe because you're vaccinated. Absolutely, it's, um, and that the kids really there nice. too can be vaccinated too, which is awesome. Yes. Very yes. cool. Yep. Well, you know, as we uh, as we wrap up here, you know. One of the things that I should ask you is just how how hard is it to to be a scientist these days or to be in the medical <laughs> profession? You know how how frustrating does that get? What do you wish more people understood about about uh, public health? Oh gosh, <laughs> I mean that is a difficult question. Um, 
it has been really up and down. There are times when we feel like we are really doing the work that we set out to do and we're keeping the community um, safer. And, you know, it's, it's great. You feel very fulfilled in the work that you're doing. And then there are other times when it just feels extremely hard. And I think that's, that's when I see the misinformation that's spread out there and um, individuals who, um, don't have a medical background, but they are spreading sort of their personal beliefs and it's sort of getting picked up and, and, and going, going out and really influencing people's lives. And those are the times when it's really, really difficult because, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't do all of the, the years of studying and the exams and the licensing and everything that we do to become sort of the, the knowledgeable experts in this field, just to have, just to feel like it's okay to be undermined by individuals who don't have that background. So it can be pretty tough. Um, and, and it's also difficult because we're watching science play out in real time on a very public scale that normally the scientific discussions are going on in just scientific communities. And the, although important, the, uh, the impact, it's not a pandemic, right? So, so it, it can be sort of discussed and debated in more like scientific or academic circles without that getting spread to the general population so quickly. And so as more science is discovered and, and guidance is updated, it can often feel like we don't know what we're talking about, right? Um, but that's really part of the scientific process. We always are questioning what the what we're recommending. Is it right? Is, you know, um, but normally that's not playing out on such a, a public, uh, in such a public sphere. So it's been, it's been difficult. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> like, only imagine. Well, that's, of course, our, our last question, because this is ballots and brews, you know, we have to ask after a long day of, of trying to help contain a raging pandemic, uh, what, what is your favorite uh, beer or cocktail or other kind of drink to, uh, oh, of choice? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Well, okay. I am not going to turn away anything that you might hand me. Sure. But my general rule of thumb is that I tend to prefer, you know, sweeter drinks and I tend to prefer fruitier drinks. And I realize that sounds very unsophisticated as a palate, as far as palate goes. Um, so something like a, a wheat beer usually okay. is what I might turn to. Like a like this weekend I had a summer shandy. Oh yeah. Um, or if it comes to like wine, I like I like the whites more than I like the reds. I drink both, but uh, you know, if I'm going to pick, I'm going to do a white wine. Absolutely. Um, and then really ciders, of course, you oh, know, yeah. that's, that's sweet and fruity. So how could I turn those down? Right. That's a good, yeah, yeah that's a good. So if you're, <laughs> if you, if you're out there and you see Dr. Locke and want to, want to get her a drink to, to thank her for all the work. There you go, folks. There's a, a, a good wheat beer for sure. There it is. Yep. You can't go wrong with a wheat beer. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Dr. Locke, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us tonight and for all, of course, that you and your team um, are, are doing really to keep our, our community safe during this, this really crazy time. 
Oh, it's been my pleasure. It really has been. And um, we are always, of course, available at the health department to answer questions. And so as we are trying to work through these difficult changes and every person has a different situation they're trying to figure out, always feel free to reach out to us and we will help as best we can. Absolutely. Yeah, just a reminder to folks listening out there, you can uh, check out that website we mentioned, you know, shawneehealth.org, as well as vaccine.gov to find all of your uh, vaccine information, how you and your family uh, can get vaccinated this summer. Um, And of course, you can follow us on uh, social media, on Facebook and um, at Ballots Brews on Twitter uh, to stay up to date with the latest information. Um, And of course, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts as well uh, to stay up to date with all that information. Um, As always, to those folks listening out there, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us tonight. Until next week, please, please, please stay safe, wear your mask, get your vaccine, wash your hands, drink some good beer. Um, and we'll catch you next week on Ballots and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. You're listening to Ballots and Brews on KSCF Digital Radio Topeka. For advertising opportunities, please go to 785live.com. Thanks for tuning in. Step one, you say we need to talk He walks, you say sit down, it's just a talk He smiles politely back at you You stare politely right on through Some sort of Yeah.